Hey there, and welcome to Beer Branding Trends, conversations on building stronger craft beverage brands. Kodo Design has spent more than a decade working with craft food and beverage artisans, helping them to brand or rebrand, reposition, and reimagine what a compelling F&B brand can be. This show captures all of our fieldwork and experience into practical strategies, tips, and tactics to help you build a stronger brand and sell more beer. I'm Isaac Arthur. And I'm Cody Fagg. And this is the Beer Branding Trends Podcast. Hey, Cody, what's going on today? Not a whole lot, Isaac. How are you doing? I am doing well, and I'm excited because today you and I are discussing one of our favorite topics over the last few years, core brand values. You and I will meet from time to time. We'll grab a beer. I'll talk about my family. I'll talk about what books I'm reading. And you just go on and on and on about brand values. You, 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 talk about how, you talk about how valuable they are. You talk about how you don't understand how anyone can build a proper corporate brand suite without understanding them. And it's like, guy, please just shut up about the brand values. That's not true. <laughs> but brand values are, you and I never get together for beer. Brand values are something that, that arose. Tell me if I'm wrong. I probably am, but I view them as something that arose in popular culture, maybe business culture is a better term, alongside of the idea of capital B brand itself back in like 2000 to 2005. The start with why concept came up sometime in there, maybe even hustle culture in the later teens. And the reason I bring all that up is I think that brand values got lumped in with all of that stuff and suffered because of it. The idea of brand values became essentially a buzzword. You know, it's a thing that you... It's a box that you check off during your branding process and you you move forward without really any substance behind it. And that's a shame because you and I know how powerful they can be when when framed and applied correctly. So, Cody, I have five or six questions here. I want to bend your ear because I know that you're constantly working with breweries and food and bev artisans to frame these values. So why don't you just start off by telling telling the listener what are core brand values? Yeah, you know me, Mr. Values. <laughs> Isaac, you and I are arguably cynical people, right? No. Um, <laughs> I think we <laughs> we spend just as much time talking about why things don't work as we do talking about why things do work. And I think even you and I would have to agree that there certainly is a value in recording core brand values. Now, what these are, your core values are a codified list of the things that you believe That sounds pretty simple and maybe even kind of glib, but when it comes down to it, that's what it is. And when people are trying to wrap their heads around core brand values, I think the key thing that sticks out for me is these things that you believe are the things that you're going to believe a month from now, a year from now, five years from now. They're they're the things that, you know, peel, peel away everything else, peel away the sort of month to month strategic decisions you make peel away even the day-to-day like what are we going to post on instagram today no matter what happens your core brand values are there they they exist kind of at the center of your company as the sort of informative dna that helps you make decisions and helps you helps define who you are in the marketplace i agree completely we we've always called them the immutable code and the reason why we think they are way more important than a lot of people maybe give them credit is that they they act as a touchstone for even the most mundane decisions on up to the the those decisions that maybe one every couple years that could kind of make or break your business they're always very very important for that for that reason and i guess i kind of just answered my own question here but why do we push people why do we push our clients to frame them why do we why do we think this is important 
we understand what they are now, but why, why, why does this matter? Well, you just said it right there. It, ultimately, it helps you make decisions. And there's a couple different ways you can look at that. Keeping a listed out document of core brand values that you can look back to, it can help you assess how you're doing. So for example, if one of your core brand values is we feel like it's really important to be hospitable and to make people feel welcome, and you're getting feedback that you've got rude taproom staff, that's a really good example where you can use core brand values to measure how, how your organization is doing functionally. So you can use it to assess how you're doing now, but I think maybe where they come even more in handy is it can help you make decisions in the future. So we are in an insane marketplace in craft beer and styles pop up, uh, opportunities pop up right now. You know, craft breweries are a lot of craft breweries are making the leap to becoming much more than just beer companies, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there are a lot of quick decisions, a lot of shiny new toys that you can play with. Ultimately, your core brand values can and should help you make those decisions moving forward in the future. Another way to say that is as these opportunities pop up and you're assessing them, sometimes you got to make really quick decisions and you might feel uncertain. Having these sort of rock solid reminders of what you believe in and why you started this thing in the first place should and can help you guide those decisions. Do you think that these should be public facing? Or in, is this mostly an internal tool, a rallying cry for your team, a recruitment tool, that sort of thing? In my opinion, and I'd be curious to hear what you think about this. So core values, always an internal tool, wonderful internal tool, can get everyone on your team involved, can get all of your stakeholders, you know, board members, executive staff, whatever, even down, you know, ground level staff, get them involved to inform core brand values as well. It can be awesome because then you have a really cohesive team. Everyone understands what the goal is and everyone's on the same page. So absolutely a wonderful internal tool. Are they public facing? You know, I would think often, yes. Does that mean that you put your uh, word document of exactly <laughs> how you wrote your brand values like up so that anyone can see it? Maybe, maybe not. Just as important, I think, you know, when you're thinking about public facing as in how you interface with the market, with the community, it's a real show don't tell in my opinion. So the way you act, the way you behave, even the way you talk about what you believe in should be informed by those brand values. So depending on how they're written and what your goals are, yes, they can be public facing. And I, I think there's a couple different ways that can manifest as well. I think I agree with all of that. I think that most importantly, it is an internal tool and I don't want to go behind the scenes here and talk about branding our design firm, but you and I are actually going through a process ourselves where we're, we're preparing to make some senior hires. We're changing how we run our business. So as part of that, we're, we're going through our own reframing of our brand values and firsthand because you and I are clients essentially in this case, since we're, we're doing this stuff ourselves, uh, the idea of making an, and you have busted me about this for eight weeks now, I think the, the values that are internal. And I, I was impo it was impossible for me to step out of that and not make them a public facing marketing message. And I think that the real value when you and I finally agreed was that, no, this can be public eventually, but it is an internal tool first It is a way to run our business. So that is very valuable when you think of it that way. And I, I do think they can be public, but as we'll talk about right now on our next question, I think the reason why maybe that lacks some teeth is why this concept became a buzzword uh, over the years. I'm going to put you on the spot now. 
over the years <laughs> we've worked with, I, I don't, I, I need to stop saying more than 50 because I think it's like maybe closer to 75, but we've worked with a whole, we've worked with 3000 breweries at this point. So nine trillion, all of them, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. We sit down, we grab beer with our clients. We're taking them through the brand strategy process. We're asking all our questions. There, there are just a core set of values that every single person claims. This is, this is folks we've worked with in Australia, folks we've worked with in Belgium, folks we've worked with down the street in Indianapolis. Everyone says the same sorts of things. Cody, I'm putting you on the spot. What are the three or four things that we hear from every single brewery client? What are their, what are their core values? I could do this in my sleep. Okay. Uh, quality, consistency, uh, community, um, variety, you know, a little something for everybody, the local community, locality, um, the, the ever elusive integrity, <laughs> honesty, um, transparency comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a pretty good rundown of the ones that we hear over and over. And, and, you know, what's really interesting as we started to do this work year in and year out and start to hear these same things from people, it kind of clicked for us. I think just having a conversation about it and reflecting on, about it, because you can only hear the same terms so many times before you raise your eyebrow and go, all right, what, what is going on here? And I think what people were, are actually doing when they list all of those, the kind of the Ur concepts that every brewery seems to want to harp on, they're actually listing the core values of craft beer as an industry. Yeah. Now, Back in 2009, when we started our work, that was a lot sexier because there were less of them. <laughs> there were less craft breweries. There were less people out there harping on this, harping on the message of quality, consistency, community, uh, sourcing, good ingredients, process, you know, the kind of stuff you hear over and over again, because craft beer as an industry was novel. And, you know, when you position that type of thinking against a macro beer, it it became very easy to see why that would get a customer excited. Now there's thousands and thousands of breweries, everybody and their grandma is saying this stuff. And at its core, I think it's lost its luster a little bit, both in the market. And I think as a motivating factor internally for breweries. The, so I want to, if, if you're cool with it, I want to talk about the advantage, the book. I know that's a very specific thing to talk about here, but the reason I wanted to bring it into this conversation is when a listener hears us kind of make fun of quality, community, local integrity, service. The uninitiated might go, so you're telling me that quality doesn't matter? I mean, obviously quality matters. So you and I have heard these things over the years, and obviously making quality beer, I mean, that's kind of table stakes. That should be the primary drive, but it, it should be, hopefully, the drive for everyone that is opening a, a craft brewery concern. And so we never really had a, like, is that a core value or is, so we never really had a way to, to capture those in this process. And so you and I have read, I mentioned that you and I are Kodo is going through this kind of visioning. We're not repositioning, but just we're refining a lot of how we, how we run our business to plan for some future growth that we have on deck. And you and I have read dozens of books about core values and culture, hundreds, if you count all the, the branding and marketing bullshit books that we've got laying around the office. But Paul Lencioni's, I think that's how you say his name. He, he wrote a book called the advantage. And he also wrote the five dysfunctions of a team for any of you business book nerds out there. The reason I, I bring this up is that, Cody, this was the first book that you and I had found that actually mirrored the process that, that we've come to use with our clients to help them 
push beyond the kind of table stake stuff to frame their values in a more compelling way. But the really valuable thing here for us was that it breaks values into three different tiers, which is something that we had never thought of. And we're, we, we're just, we've stolen a whole cloth to use in our process. There are core values, which we've already kind of discussed at length, but there are two other sections here, aspirational values, and maybe more importantly to our conversation, permission to play values. Cody, can you give me a rundown? We've already talked about core values. Uh, give me a rundown on permission to play values and aspirational values and why those are very helpful to have in this process. I will start with permission to play values because that's kind of what the thread that we're on. So if there are 10 breweries in my market and they're all focused on quality, then none of them are focused on quality. And people get cynical about core values because that just turns into marketing static and noise. Everybody is saying the same thing. Uh, of course, your beer is quality. You're a craft brewery. This is a really good example of a permission to play value. It's probably part of why you got into craft beer. I mean, again, I, I think a, a value like the quality of the product is essential to the craft beer industry or should be. And most people would agree with that, at least folks in the industry. But the problem with that is, is it, it becomes not super useful from a standpoint of positioning. And when you're later on down the line and trying to figure out how to make yourself stand out and how to get people excited about you and to come check you out and, and you know, come into the fold and support you, if you're saying the same thing as everyone else, that's just kind of a blunt way to, to get to people. And I, I don't think it's going to be very effective. So uh, permission to play value is essentially just what are the table stakes? And and this is something you and I struggled with. So if I can talk about us and, and our process that we're going through, a huge core value for Kodo has always been, and this goes back to you know our experiences in school together, collaboration, working with clients as closely as we possibly can, uh, you leveraging their expertise and and making sure that you know everyone has a seat at the table in terms of decision making and steering the project, and that is super important to us. But here's the thing. Go check out every marketing firm. Go check out every design firm. They all have some version of that now. And and partly because that's a best practice. I think partly when people say that too, they mean different things by it. But ultimately, I mean, we've had to be very honest with ourselves and say, as core as a, and, and as important as that is to us as people and to what we're trying to do with our business and just with our practice and, and how we approach these pro projects, it, it is a permission to play value because we're not going to be able to stand out saying that if, if you pick 10 design firms, you know, can we really say that we're more collaborative than nine of them? Probably not, or at least not from a perception standpoint of like the outside looking in. So that that's a really good way to think about permission to play values and kind of help you understand it's still a core value. It's still really important, but you might have to work harder to get the point across. And, and I think the way to do that is again, you show, you don't tell, you know, if you're that serious about quality, then figure out how to, educate people, figure out how to get that point across other than writing a sort of condescending missive about how much you love quality beer. Really quickly, before we dive into aspirational values, something that tripped you and I up, me, and I'll just say me, on delineating between core values and permission to play values, I think the mm. book gave the prompt, would your brewery or would your business be able to credibly claim that we are more committed to X value than 99% of our competitors? If so, then it likely is a core. If not, it's likely a permission to play value. The reason that I, I, we like this framework of having core aspirational permission to play values is if you're listening to this conversation and you say, okay, well, that's permission to play. Before we 
we read this book and started going through this process with our own clients, you know, quality would just fall off the map. It would just not be in this document anywhere. But by having permission to play, that actually gives us a kind of secondary or maybe even tertiary bucket of ideas that that do show up in the messaging that help guide business decisions, but aren't elevated to that core status. And that is valuable. I just probably interrupted your your flow of thought. Give us a quick rundown on aspirational values, and then we'll, we'll get to some other uh, questions here. Yeah. So, I mean, shifting gears a little bit to aspirational values, the best way I can put this is these are values that you've identified that you want to be better with, better at, and you see the value in, in, you know, improving yourself in these specific areas, but maybe you're not quite there yet. And I think I can give another really good example from our internal process. Um, We are very, very good internally as a team, meaning within Kodo design, talking to each other as employees uh, at being honest and frank and having a a real sense of candor, mm-hmm. being kind of blunt and rude at times. But <laughs> I, I don't think there's ever a case internally where one of us is wondering what the other is thinking, which is really good. Now, that's all fine and great. Um, but aspirationally, we want to be that way more with clients. So if a client has maybe like not the best idea, or even if we have a really good idea that maybe a client isn't picking up on, being more forward and being more honest and frank about that is something that we've kind of put a pin on and said, you know what, it would be really good if we got better at this. So that's a good example of we have aspirations to improve our practice in this area, you know, and and you can imagine what that would be for a brewery. It it, it depends on a lot of different things. It could be, we want to, we want to have a pilot program because, you know, we want to be more flexible, more nimble, that that could be an aspirational value. It's basically setting your sights on the future and saying, what could we get better at? I love that so much. You and I had never in 10, 11, 12 years of running this business, we had never actually framed, we'd never framed aspirational values. I love that idea. It gives you something to strive for. It probably meshes, I'm guessing, with a lot of people's broader kind of yearly planning, quarterly planning, that sort of thing. So it's, it's just fantastic. I love that idea. We've spent a good amount of time discussing what brand values are, the different types of values. Let's end on a couple different ways that Kodo uses to get people to frame their values. So I want you to think about, I think we've got, what is it, anecdotes? And then the other one is maybe the first one we should talk about is word vomit or brain dump, but that's a, that's a delightful term. But we use these two ways just to get people to start working through this process before applying that to the the framework that we've discussed above about identifying core aspirational permission to play. Cody, give me a rundown. You can pick which one you start with, but what are the two ways that we use in particular to help people work through and identify what could be a brand value? Because I want to say the word vomit, I'm going to (laughs) start with word vomit. Yum. (laughs) Um, And and this kind of goes back to our education and, and how we approach the design process in general. And this idea that when you're setting out to figure out anything, in this case, core brand values, you list out as many different ideas as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. And you force yourself to even write down the dumb stuff or the crazy stuff. And you don't put a cap on that sort of initial brain dump of, okay, what are all the possible things I could think of that we care about, that we value, that we want to do better in the future, that we do really well, but maybe it's table stakes, but we still really, really, you know, it's important to us as people. Zero editing at this point. Just get right. it out there. And that's the key. And that takes practice. 
that you're not filtering yourself. And that can be tough in a group setting too, but doing it in a group setting is also really valuable because instead of just having your list of stuff, you could potentially have, you know, thousands of points of data across, you know, eight to 10 different staff members. It, it depends on how you're structured and how you want to tackle that. But when you're done with this and you're staring at this enormous list of ideas, then you can start to group. You can kill the stuff that's redundant. You're going to notice um, patterns emerging, mm-hmm. duplicate ideas or ideas that kind of say the same thing in a different way. You can kind of move through, combine these things, get rid of the crazy stuff, get rid of the stuff that doesn't make any sense. You can refine everything down to, you know, this is an arbitrary number, but let's say three to five core values, for example. And then you can give those catchy names. A good example of, you know, as we're doing <laughs> this for Kodo, uh, well, we've got a couple a really good example from our internal process as we're figuring out Kodo Design's values. Uh, remember to breathe is one because the work-life balance is really important for us, for our employees. We want to be able to live a life outside of work. So remember to breathe kind of became one of those core values for us. Um, these can kind of have funnier names too. We were toying around with an idea <laughs> because humor and staying grounded is really funny. Anti, it's really sorry, re- Yeah. 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 We're, we're very, um, we're trying to keep our feet on earth. So we, we've toyed around with calling one of our values. Cody cleans the shitter because I end up cleaning the toilets at work often for some reason. You do a, you do we, a, really, we actually need to talk about that. No, we don't. And you do a fantastic <laughs> job. <laughs> you um, know, actually really quickly, the reason, the reason putting a name to these things, I, I wanted to, I just realized that we were going to get through this entire conversation without talking about this. Three to five is a good number because those are things that you can actionably talk about regularly. I mean, it sounds corny, but the outcome of this process for your brewery, for Kodo even, is when we have our weekly meetings or whatever it is, we'll bring up a value and just kind of talk about it. And and, and that sounds really cheesy, but that's how you instill these things. And by having, having an actual quippy name to it, so we're not just saying balance, but we're saying remember to breathe. That that reminds people that you are only as good as you are fresh and recharged and able to tackle things with full vigor and with fresh eyes. So by giving it a name, Cody cleans the shitter, which I've been a, 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 an ardent advocate for <laughs> that name. It just makes it more graspable and easy to live by. Cody, I think the only final point there. And I'm again. I'm just interrupting you. I think I think it'd be writing a short along with naming it is writing a short blurb that kind of captures the big idea behind that value, and that gives you an actionable nugget that you can then implement and live by. Let we're I think we're kind of running tight on time. Let's talk about anecdotes. We we do this as well. This is the other. I think this might be secondary to the the brain dump idea, but but give give us a rundown on anecdotes and how we use those to to kind of suss out ideas and values. We've talked a lot about how people can be cynical about core brand values, and and I understand that, and I often am as well. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I find it really difficult to be cynical about is when people have really good examples of how they've demonstrated these things. So a lot of times we'll ask clients, give us a story that you're proud of, or talk about one of the coolest things you guys have done. We use anecdotes, little stories, just little tidbits about in this case, the history of someone's brewery or, or what someone is up to now to suss out core brand values. Because when you see what people are doing and what motivates them, when I talk to clients and kind of find out what they're passionate about and they talk about what they've done, it's often very easy to record that and then kind of pick back through and see, 
well, okay, I can tell how you're behaving here. I can, I can tell you really value in the environment, let's say. So that's one way to kind of backfill this and do it backwards. And I think if you're stuck, if you're having a lot of trouble with that word vomit approach of just uncensoring yourself and completely, you know, opening the can of worms, I think this is another way for people who think differently, people who think a little bit more narratively to go around, collect stories about the brewery, whether it's you, your employees, anyone who represents your company, what have we done? What are we proud of? What's really cool? And then what values do those demonstrate? And so that can be another way to capture those. Yeah, it's it. We've, it depends on who you are and how your brain works, but we found some people really thrive in that environment. A taproom manager goes out and deals with a poor service situation, and in doing so, you can pull out things that they did that really exemplify traits and values that you find valuable, and you can just by listing that out. A common example, if if you truly stand for quality, you know, you're, you're saying, no, I don't care anything that... Cody, you and Isaac have talked about for the last 30 minutes. Quality is one of our core values. Then you better not be releasing any beer that isn't 100%, you know, up to snuff. So that's a way that you can identify and live by these things. This, I think we've covered everything. This is, this has been a great conversation, Cody, for, for you folks out there really do suggest the book, The Advantage by Paul Lencioni. If you are interested in framing your core brand, brand, Brad, your Brad values, your core uh, Brad Brown, your, Brown <laughs> your values. core, your core Chad values. Uh, <laughs> you can also check out as always our, our craft beer rebranded book at craftbeerrebranded.com. We, we go through several activities and chapters on framing your core values, but this has been great, Cody. I appreciate your time and I will catch up with you tomorrow for another meeting to discuss the bathroom <laughs> cleaning situation. All right. I've, I've got to get to work on that. So I'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to Beer Branding Trends. If you like what we're doing here, if you find this valuable, please rate and review us over on iTunes. And head over to beerbrandingtrends.com to join more than 5,000 subscribers who receive our monthly email newsletter covering strategy, currents, and actionable advice from Kodo Design, a branding firm on the front lines of beer and beverage branding. Take care. We'll catch back up with you soon.